Thank you. Thank you. Teresa's right. I have a lot of issues. I do. Thank you for being here, though. Thank you for taking care of me there, Teresa. I, um, my name's Matt King, if you hadn't heard that earlier. Our senior pastor, Kurt Bubna, is speaking down in Portland this morning. Uh, he's helping a friend of his out, another senior pastor of a church. And he's a very busy guy, and so I, I'm stepping in this morning and continuing on in a sermon series that we're calling the four-letter words. Uh, I don't know if you guys know uh, any good four-letter words that you can say in church, but uh, we have a lot of them that we've teed up for you guys. But before I go any further, I just want to say thanks for being here today. I want you guys to always, always hear from us how grateful we are that you would choose church. We understand that you could have done a lot of things this morning and that you're really probably sacrificing something. I mean, I realize that some of you may have been forced to come by a mom or a dad or something like that, but the truth of it is is that most of you probably chose to be here this morning and it makes a difference and I want you to know that we are happy we are grateful for that it does make a difference for other people besides pastors and people who are up here that's been working hard trying to make sure that we've got something for you this week well if you missed last week's sermon you weren't here Kurt talked about the four-letter word wait I hate waiting I do I don't know that there's too many people who do like waiting But I want to ask you, if you have not seen that sermon, please go online and watch it. Please go and take some time over the course of this next week. It's not a full hour. The sermons are typically about 30 minutes. And take some time and look at that. And the reason for it is, is I believe that there's practical advice in there that anybody could use. And if not specifically for you, you could pass it along to somebody else. Please be aware of that. Today's word is give. And any time you mention the word give associated with God in church, there is the potential for a cringe factor for people. We get that. We know that. In fact, the wisest man who ever lived is a guy by the name of King Solomon. If you don't believe that, just check out, do a Google search, wisest man that ever lived. And there's not too many people who would even claim outside of Jesus that they were wiser. But one of the things he had to say in all of his wisdom was about money, and this is what he had to say. It's in Ecclesiastes 7.11. It says, wisdom is even better when you have money. (laughs) Think about that. That's, That's legit, isn't it? It's profound. Wisdom is better when you have money. We get that. And it doesn't take a wise person to understand that that's truth. Money is a big deal. Now, When you show up at church and your whole idea is that you came here expecting to take something away that will help you and all of a sudden somebody starts talking about giving, it can feel like you've been manipulated and some of us have been. Some of us know what it's like to show up at church and all of a sudden have somebody kind of turn it on you and strong arm you and press you into being a giver. That's tough. It can feel like when you're at home and you get a knock on the door and it's a solicitor and they're They're pitching that you would contribute to some worthwhile charity, and you're in your mind going, I know it's a good cause, but money's tight, and if I give, and then I'll feel maybe good that I gave, but I might have some regrets later on because I don't have the money, and it gets awkward. Anybody else agree with me that it can be awkward? Yeah. All the rest of you, I suppose not, but (laughs) for me, it is. I don't like it getting a solicitor at my door. And I don't like being manipulated. I don't think anybody does. It feels more like a take than it does a give. 
So I realize that when I mention that our word today is give, that some of you may cringe because you've been abused by the whole giving thing in church. For others, though, it's a little bit different. When you hear the word give associated with God in church, you might be thinking like what I'm thinking, and that is I grew up in the church, and I remember hearing a particular verse over and over and over and over again. It was Psalm 37.4. And it, it says this, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You know, there have been times where I know that people have said to themselves, you know, I, I think I delight in the Lord. I go to church. I read my Bible. I even memorize my favorite verses. And I, I serve. Let's see, I, I, I give. And they, they start to take on a mentality of, you know what, I've delighted in the Lord. I've done all the things that I know that I'm supposed to do, but yet God has not given me the desires of my heart. And for some, the desire of their heart is just to simply live. I know people, I read the prayer requests, I know people who right now are going through this life wondering if they're going to make it just another few months because their disease is winning. And the desire of their heart is just to live. I know that for other people, the desire of their heart is pretty simple. I could just use a good job. Financially, it'd be nice to be able to know that I'll be able to pay my own bills or help my children. For some, you're like me. I remember for years thinking, you know, God, I have delighted in you. But yet you will give to some of the most worthless people on the face of the earth, the ability to be able to have a child, but yet you will withhold that from me? You won't even give me one child, the desire of my heart? You say the word give in church, you can make somebody cringe. For some people, it's not so much about what God should give. For some people, it's about what God should have given. It was the spouse that died from cancer or some other disease. It was the child who was supposed to come home from serving overseas, fighting for our country. But they came home all right, but they didn't live. See, when you say the word give in church, even though it's associated with God, it can make people cringe. And we get that. We want you to know that we understand that. Now, that should never be our first response, though. Ever. Our first response when we hear the word give associated with God in church should never be to go, oh, God would never want that. In fact, what God would want from us is something completely different. But what if we do feel that way? What if we do feel that somehow, some way that God has held on on us? Or somehow, some way we feel like God has manipulated us? Or somehow, some way we feel like God just isn't trustworthy anymore? As I've mentioned before, I've, I've felt that way. So I want to tell you what it is that I do when I start to get tempted to feel that way today. The first thing I do is I remember this, that the oldest strategy and trick of the devil is to make you and I believe that somehow, some way that God is not good. He's not for us. He's holding out on us. 
If you don't know the Bible, the very first story in the Bible is of Adam and Eve. And in that story, what we see is that the primary goal of Satan, of the devil, was to trick Eve into believing that God was not for her. That he was holding out on her. That she was entitled to something. That she deserved something. But that God wasn't going to give it to her because God's not good. That's the first thing you need to do is you need to remember that that is the oldest strategy and trick of the devil. But God doesn't want that from us. What God wants from us is that we would love him, that we would respect him, that we would trust him, and that we would understand his love for us so much and that we would be impacted by his love so much that people would be able to see that we are Christians, that we are people who love God. And when people love, people give. There's no other way about it. And so what God would want from us is something completely different than that. But knowing that that is going on, knowing that the deceiver and that the liar is busy at work since the very beginning, God had a plan and his plan was to send his son so that his son would be able to show us and explain to us and demonstrate for us that God is not that way. God is not looking to take from you. God is not looking to manipulate you. God is not holding out on you. And God is certainly not stupid. He is not dumb. He has not lost his mind and trying to figure out how to go about piecing this whole thing back together again. God has a plan for you and for me. And it's one that was made out of love. And Jesus' primary goal was to try to get us to understand that. I want to provide as evidence one of the sweetest and most intimate times or conversations that Jesus ever had with his father. It was in that moment right before he was going to be arrested. I don't know if you guys know this, but right before Jesus was arrested, he got a chance to spend some time with his disciples, and you could tell how much he loved them, but he broke away from them, and he started to spend some time praying and in this prayer, it's so beautiful, it's so sweet, it's so tender, and he knows that he's about ready to get arrested and beaten till nearly dead and then crucified on a cross. And so he's emptying himself of everything that he has. And in the intimacy of this prayer, here are some things that he says, and I need you all to hear this. And the reason for it is, is that Jesus prays for you. He prays for us. I kid you not. This is what he says. John chapter 17, verses 20 through 26. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. I just want to stop there for a second before I continue on. Did you guys catch that God sent Jesus to this earth so that the people who were a part of this world would know that God loves them as much as he loves the Son? Love. Continuing on, verse 24. Father, I want these whom you have given to me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. Oh, righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. I hope you guys can hear it. 
I hope that you can read it and hear it and sense it, that what Jesus was dealing with here was this was what his life's work was about. It was trying to convey to these guys, man, you got a, you got a father in God who loves you. He absolutely loves you. And he wants you to love him back, and he wants you to experience that love so much so that your life becomes loving, that you reflect him and you look like him. But sometimes changing the way someone sees God can be hard. Getting them to change their perspective or have a paradigm shift can be incredibly difficult. And Jesus knows this. And that was part of the reason why he was sent, remember, is to help these guys have a new perspective, a new change. And so he particularly made that a part of his mission with these disciples, which is why it was so much of a concern to him. And so story after story after story, Jesus would tell these guys to try to help them to understand how much that God loves them. Now, if you guys think that you have issues or that we have issues when it comes to the word give and God, these disciples had more issues than what any of us did. If you don't believe me, just go and look at the whole New Testament and read, particularly the Gospels, about these clowns. I mean, these guys truly, I mean, here were some of the things that they expected. Thrones to sit on and rule all earth and heaven. I kid you not, they actually expected that. And they were always fighting and arguing about who was the greatest. What kind of rewards were they going to get? They had big, huge expectations on God. And so... For Jesus to try to change them, he told some stories. And one particular time, he told three stories in succession. One of which was about a lost coin. The next was about a lost sheep. And the third was about a lost son. I want to paraphrase that story for you guys here today. And the reason for it is, is I believe that it was absolutely perfectly made for us. Just like it was perfectly made for those disciples then, I believe the story is perfect for us. So, here's how it goes. A man had two sons. And he had a very large estate. It was a farm, and there was a lot of work that needed to be done on there. And every single day, this man and his two sons, they got busy, and they did the work that was required of them. But one day, the younger son got so disgusted and so fed up and so bitter and so enraged about everything going on that in this emotional burst, he actually says to his father, I wish that you were dead. And the reason for it is, is I would like to get half of what it is that you would give to me so I can go out and live my life the way that I want, how I want, when I want. So what does this dad do? He goes and he finds out what the equivalent value of his entire estate would be. He cashes out and he gives this son enough cash to cover half of his estate. And within a few days, this son packs up all of his stuff and he leaves. Now, just out of curiosity, how many of you have had a child pack up and move out of your home? Is that hard? Is it, is it hard? I mean, I've talked with some of you. Some of you are like, oh, no, that's not hard at all. <laughs> yeah, it means entertainment room now. <laughs> but under these circumstances, I can understand how Man, if it's hard having a kid pack up and move out of your home, man, especially into these, it would be bad. So again, the son is out on his own with his new freedom. He is living life the way that he wants to. And he is on top of the world, living and 
truly fulfilling all of the desires that he had now with the resources to be able to fund it. And what's interesting is, is that this father knew exactly what this son was going to do, but yet he funded him anyway. In fact, he empowered him to be able to go out and do perverse things with his life and potentially even get harmed, get injured, get hurt, get killed. But he didn't. And one of the truths about money is, is unless you're doing something with it to make more, it runs out. And that's exactly what happened to this young man. And he went from being in the upper elite, tasting some of the best cuisine and drinking some of the best wine, to all of a sudden finding himself envying the meals of the pigs that he was hired to care for. And it was then that his thinking began to change and he started to remember not only what it is that he had done, but he started to remember his dad. And he was no longer thinking about this dad who was trying to control him, trying to manipulate him, trying to hold him back from what it was that he wanted to do. Now he started to think about a dad that was loving and kind and compassionate, a dad that was willing to bend over backwards in order to supply him and help him. And he started to realize, I've made a mistake. I have chosen this way. I have chosen my life. And now look at what it's got for me. And so in that moment, he resolved himself that he was better off going home and giving up any expectations that he ever had of his father of being a son. And instead, he would ask his dad to treat him as a slave, as one of the servants within their home. And so he took off and he made his way. But little did this young man know was that his dad never stopped loving him. Never stopped loving him. Never stopped caring for him. Never stopped looking for him in spite of all that this son had done to rebel against him and hurt him. And when that son was walking up that road and he was finally close enough to be able to see the house, his dad was actually able to see somebody walking up the road. And when he recognized him, he ran to him and all the servants are following along behind. And in this moment, the explosion of emotions, a son confesses to his father his true regret. And a son blesses his son by expressing his true relief. And he turns and he, he says to the servants who are there witnessing this whole thing, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For the son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And the party began. <laughs> but while this is going on, older son, he's out working, doing his thing, working the fields. And he comes home and he hears all this partying going on. So he gets out of his horse, whatever. <laughs> he's like, what's all that noise? What's going on? What's the party? And one of the servants says, it's your brother. Your, your brother's come home and we're celebrating. Your, your father has killed the fattened calf. And we're celebrating his return. And this older son goes off. He loses it. And he refuses to have anything to do with the party. Not only is he not going in, but he doesn't want to see his brother. He doesn't want to talk to his dad. He's just another four-letter word. He's mad. So his dad comes out and he starts trying to beg the son to come in. And this is what the son says to him. All these years, 
I have slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you have never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours goes off and spends your money on prostitutes and wild living, squandering it, you welcome him home by killing the fattened calf. To which the father replies, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me. And everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was once lost, but now he is found. See, Jesus told this story and many others to these disciples and truthfully to us. And the reason for it was is he really wanted to demonstrate something about our God. And it's this. Our God loves all of us stupid, rebellious, evil, wicked kids whose thinking has gone so weird that we would look at God and say, I don't love you. I don't want anything to do with you. I hate you. He loves us just as much as he loves those who have said, Okay, I'll obey you. I'll stick around. I'll do whatever. He loves those of us who have viewed him as a killjoy, who have said, we don't want you to put any constraints on us and our, our life, our sexuality, our desires. We don't want any of that. He loves those of us just as much as he loves those who have come to him and said, wait a second, I'm entitled. I've done everything right. You owe me. And he knows how to be merciful and just with us when we come back and we beg for forgiveness. And he knows how to be gentle in confronting those of us who throw a hissy fit because, well, we didn't get our way. Or we believe that God is blessing somebody that doesn't deserve it when we obviously do. You see, Jesus told the story because he needed these disciples to understand something. God loves them, period. He loves them. And he wants that love to be something that impacts them and changes their life. But that'll never happen when a person is looking at God with the wrong perspective, with the wrong view. You see, God would never want our first response to be one of cringing to the word give. Instead, what he would want is our first response to be, wow. When it comes to give and the word associated with God said in church, my first thought is always going to go to, I'm so thankful for what God has given me. First and foremost, forgiveness. Secondly, love. I know that love is the reason why he gave forgiveness. But we should all be thinking the first time when we hear the word give in church, wow, is my God giving. Why was my dad loving? Jesus, one of the other things he had to say to his disciples is in Matthew chapter 6. And I love the way that this translation states it. I'm sure you've heard it many times before, but the way that the message put it was quite sweet. I want to read this to you. Jesus said to these disciples and to us, If God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, 
most of which are never even seen. Don't you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you, do his best for you? What I'm trying to do here is get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things, but you know both God and how he works. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. See, Jesus was trying to convey to these guys that God is good, that he loves them like a dad, and that he gives them everything that they could possibly ever want and need. And as a direct result of that, their lives should be changed and they should be kind, become the kind of people who, because of God's love in them, now love others. And you can't love without giving. It's impossible. And if you don't believe me, just look at the people in your own life who love you the most and start tallying up, how did they give? In closing, I wanna tell you, there's three ways that I believe that we can give when we love like God, just the way that he does with us. The first way is relationally. And believe it or not, all of you are already doing that here today. We can give love relationally. When you choose to show up at church, you are loving relationally. It's when you show up here and you decide to smile at somebody or look at somebody or maybe even enter into a conversation with somebody. I can't tell you how much of a difference that it makes to the rest of you when the rest of you show up at church. When you're the only person who shows up at church, and the funny story is, is this happened a couple of weeks ago. It was on the day that when we had our church in the, our church in the park, it got canceled. We moved it back here at 10.30. Our, our service time say 9.30 on the web. A, a couple shows in here at 9.30, and I'm the only one sitting in the front row, and they're by themselves back there. I'm looking at the band, looking at them going, what's going on? And I turn around, and I look at them, and I walk back, and they're like, are we the only ones at this church service today? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you can't believe how much they were delighted to see all the rest of you show up later on. When you show up, it makes a difference. You invest relationally, and you can't do that watching online. So thank you for being here today. A second way that you give is functionally. You know, I delight every single morning when I get up on a Sunday morning to drive to church, and I see all the other cars on the road. I know where they're going. They're going to church. I see the parking lot here filled. I tell you... I'm so blessed by you guys who show up and serve here. Some of you every single Sunday are here. You're involved. You're an usher. You're a greeter. You're working in Adventureland. You're up on this platform and worship and you're doing stuff. And I'm so glad. And I realize that not everybody here can functionally give the way that some of these people do. But I'm glad that some do. Aren't you? Well, you might be able to give functionally. A third way, obviously, is financially. Some of you guys are so faithful about financially giving to this church that you've set it up online so that you're constantly giving even though you know that you can't be here to relationally invest every single week. But those are three ways that you have been given love by God. And those are three ways that you could be giving love back toward others. And guys, I want you to know something. Christians used to be known as the most giving people on the face of the earth, but now we are not. Now we are considered to be defunct. The church is considered to be dead. And when they say the church and when we say the church, it's not the building or the buildings. It's the people who were within the church. If you were to look at what it is that the people who were within the church give to, 
It appears as if they love a whole lot of things more so than what they do the church. Just saying. And so I'm asking, I'm asking as a fellow Christian, what are you willing to do in order to change the way that the world perceives the word give associated with God and church? Because the reason why they don't see it as being good and the reason why many of them cringe is because we do. And the only way that that will ever change is when God finally makes an impact inside of our minds and we start to give because he did first. I wanna finish with showing you a video of some of the people that I know that you'll recognize. They're people from within our church. And these are people who have committed themselves to not just give relationally, not just committed to give themselves functionally, they've committed to give of themselves financially. And some of them are trying to strive for a tithe or a tenth, and you'll see that when some, some of them mention that. But let's watch this video and then I'll come back up and close after that. I'm gonna ask you guys to stand. We're gonna sing through a song here that it by far has become one of my favorite songs. In fact, it's impossible for me to be able to sing it uh, anymore without just crying. And so I'm not even gonna pretend to even sing this song. And the reason for it is, is what it's talking about is my dad, my father. I mean, how good he really is. And I didn't always feel that way. And I certainly didn't, I certainly didn't reflect that in the way that I, <laughs> I live my life or the way that I, I gave toward other people. But guys, God's changed me. And my prayer is, is that he will continue to change me and so that more and more and more of my life will look more and more like him. And when a person looks like God, they look loving and they look giving. My challenge is, is what's standing in the way of you seeing God that way and allowing his life and his love impact you that way? So let's sing through the song and you let God speak to you and you speak to him. And I promise you he'll figure out a way to be able to communicate with you exactly what he would learn, want from you in terms of how you would give and demonstrate his love for others. Let's sing, then I'll come back up. Let me pray for you guys. Lord, I know that you love me. I know that you love us. Lord, you know exactly how we feel about you too. So my heart, my heart breaks for you, Lord, because I know that there are some who are probably still thinking about you the way that I used to. There's some here who are confused and I imagine that there are some here who are convicted and I imagine that there are some here, Lord, who just love you so much like I do and want to thank you and they want to, they want to tell you and they want to live that for you and they want to make a smile break across your face in every way. Lord, I know that you'll know how to speak to each one of us individually and I pray that you will. If you're in this room right now and you're thinking, I... I want a relationship with God or I want to come back, but I don't know how. I'm going to offer a small prayer. You just make the words your own. That's all that really matters is your heart. But it goes something like this, Lord, please forgive me. Please, please help me. I'm so sorry for what it is that I've done, what I've said. I ask that you would change me. Would you please change me? Whatever it is that you do, Will you take my life and will you do something of value with it? I give you my life. And if that's you right now and you are saying those words or thinking those words, maybe even right now you're feeling what it's like to have God say, I love you, as he gives you his spirit to, to let you know and to help. 
For those of us who are in this room right now and we're thinking, God, would you please help me? Help me to know how to give and be giving like you, to be loving like you. Lord, speak to them and help them to know and understand that. Lord, I ask that you would move through us this week and change our hearts. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for being here this morning. If you made that prayer your own, I wanna invite you to grab one of these. We call it a new believer packet. There's a Bible in there, some other stuff. They're located at the doors. We'd love for you to take one of these and then let us know. Also today, if you filled out a prayer request or you went to give and the buckets were just too fast, there's boxes mounted on each door. Make sure that you just stuff them into there. We'll get that from you. Communion is available inside of the rooms. Prayer team will be up front. And don't forget to check out the neighboring group wall. Make sure we get connected. Love you guys. Hope to see you next week in another four-letter word.